are starting episode 70 of Down the Rabbit Hole. Oh my God. And we're back. What? We're back after a very long break. <laughs> But we're still alive, right? We are still alive, yes. I think, uh, well, before we enter into that, yeah. Carl Baldwin. Yes, I am Carl Baldwin and you are... Rafael Ruiz. And we're your hosts on Down the Rabbit Hole. Mm-hmm. We, uh, the new improved, the new improved rabbit hole. We had a break Mm. of quite some time in which we were rethinking many things. We also got busy. Yeah. We had had a pandemic. We had work to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we're back with it. Yeah. And we managed to think of a different way to address the show. Yeah. Yeah. So starting from this episode, we'll have a a different uh, format Mm. in which we're going to be having very small segments, like yeah. you were saying, bite-size uh, audio segments in which we are going to be able to address like this better, all kind of topics. Exactly. Instead of how we, we used to do one full topic uh, every time. Yeah. And uh, we also address a bit uh, the time. Yeah, we've, we, we we've decided to recognize the fact people are very short of time. Exactly. And they need things in a more compressed format. Yes. Therefore, we're going to have a more limited uh, time shows, but shows that you will be able to listen uh, fully mm. and enjoy the diversity of the topics. Exactly. And for this uh, very first new format, we have uh, some interesting topics there. We do. We've got a couple of future items. Yes, and one society. And one society album. And very different. Mm-hmm. We hope you enjoy it. Yep. So let's get into it. Cool. Society. Yeah, Rafa, so what about this um, doomsday clock? Yeah. Pretty interesting, right? That's actually really, really interesting uh, since the doomsday clock has been around since uh, yeah. the first ideas in 1947. That's right, from uh, some people who worked on the Manhattan Project, you know, the the uh, nuclear bomb project. Exactly. Um, I'm not quite sure who it was who started it. Well, uh, yeah, it was just some people involved in the Manhattan Project, and yeah. they decided to make this uh, doomsday clock to yes. warn people about how close are we to extinction, basically. Yeah, yeah just how how dangerous is the kind of current global situation. So it's it's largely to do with technology and our effects on the environment, mm-hmm. um, political tensions, so on and so forth, and it's... It takes the form of a an analog clock. Yes, an analog clock, and yeah. it's in Washington D.C., I believe, in a, uh-huh. a in a science institute, I think. Uh-huh. And um, I'm not sure every, everybody kind of is aware of it. I don't think many people are uh, are aware of it. And mm. if we want to be a little bit more, I could say, simplified idea of this clock, yeah. It's not like they are measuring a time in the future. No. It's just a, a visual representation of when we reach midnight, let's say. It's game over. It's game over. Right. So how far are we from that point? Yeah. So the clock moves. Every time there's some kind of situation in the world, yeah. uh, something happens that makes them move closer or farther. Yeah. The clock. So, so it might be, uh, for example, um, the level of threat from the environment that we're creating yeah, exactly. is, affects it. Uh-huh. And another thing we should maybe point out is that although they adjust it once a year, they only kind of make note of it 
if it changes. If it changes, exactly. Um, so some years it doesn't change and, you know, kind mm-hmm. of it doesn't move, so there's no announcement, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, but in um, January this year, exactly, um, it was moved <laughs> to its to its worst point ever. Ever. So back in the heady days in the previous century, nineteen ninety one was the best period yeah, ever. Ever. We were the most safe in that. The uh, doomsday clock was at 17 minutes to midnight. Exactly. Now, if you think also, that was 1991. Yeah. If you go back to 47 when it started, it started at seven minutes to midnight. Exactly. I think actually, in a way, that reflects the perception of danger, doesn't it? Exactly. Because, of course, it was all about the first nuclear weapons. We... Second World War was just over, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Obviously, the... um, the Americans had the atomic bomb and they knew, in fact, I think by 1947, mm-hmm. the right Russians there. had den- detonated their own. So right? it was clear uh, danger. N- nuclear uh, proliferation exactly. beckoned, right? And across the years, it have been moving back and forth. Yeah, it It's has. not like always goes up. No. It goes to go down. Amazingly, sometimes it apparently gets safer to live on this planet than other, other years. Now, the interesting point here is that all since this new century... Yeah. <laughs> it's just got worse. It just goes actually. Let, no, let's put it like this: since this, uh, since the last decade, yeah. since two thousand and ten, yeah, up, yeah. it has not go down. It no. just goes up. It from just gets period to period, nearer and nearer, and the end of the world scenario. Yeah. Right? So, for example, two thousand ten, it yeah. marks six minutes. Hmm. Then the next biggest change was two thousand and twelve. Yeah, and then it marks five minutes to midnight. Yeah. Then we move to fifteen. Three minutes to midnight. And he's like, okay. Then what was the concern there in 15? Climate change and nuclear war, of course. Yeah, still, amazingly. And we move on to 2017 and 18. Yeah. 17 was two minutes and a half. Mm. 18 was two minutes to midnight. Almost Iron Maiden song there, you know, straight up. Yeah. (laughs) And from there, (laughs) we move to 2022, 100 seconds. 100 seconds. And what are the concerns at the moment are uh, climate, nuclear, and cyber warfare. Yeah. And we should talk more about cyber warfare in another segment. In another segment. that is getting really It's huge, especially in the last uh, month or so. It has been unbelievable. Some some major developments, I think. Yes. But I think, I don't know what you think, but the nuclear concerns, certainly in this century, have not been so much nuclear war, but nuclear... Material potentially falling into the wrong hands, dirty bombs, mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, it keeps being raised. I think we have to remember also uh, about uh, what was happening with uh, North Korea between the US tensions. True nuclear proliferation. That still. had to do. And Iran, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what made move this clock faster in yeah. a way. Yeah. Then cyber warfare was one. Yeah. And yeah. no. So very interesting, and we'll leave a link to have a look at... Uh, at several articles related to... Yeah, the Doomsday Clock. Clock. It is worth a look. It's very interesting. And it's always worth looking at a kind of a, shall we say, an independent take mm-hmm. on the whole thing. But yeah. Uh, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Future. 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 Future.
Yeah, Rafa, have you seen this um, this research moving on to a completely different subject about ways to pollinate crops? Because you know there's this uh-huh. big problem globally with collapse of bee yeah. colonies and all this stuff. I mean, serious stuff, right? That thing of the bees is actually very serious. Yeah, there's very- a lot of programs for trying to uh, have bees, uh, colonies of bees, you know, produce more honey, help pollinate uh, areas. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think they still have got a handle on why they call it collapse syndrome or something. But uh-huh. I don't think they yet fully understand it. But I think it's they think it might be something to do with a mite or something that's spread mm-hmm. globally. Anyway, interesting. This fellow in Japan, a scientist, Mister, not a Mister actually, a Doctor Miyako. Mm-hmm. He had a kind of a light bulb moment in that uh, he was with his yeah. son, with his young son in the park. His son was playing, and he saw his son using blowing bubbles, you know, uh-huh. with a soap solution. Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And at the time, uh, Dr. Miyako was actually doing research on how to artificially pollinate flowers, fruit yeah. trees, whatever. And they tried various different things that didn't work out too well. They kind of worked, but not brilliantly. Yeah. And then he had this kind of moment, his eureka yeah, moment. Eureka moment, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he thought, oh, maybe we could use bubbles because they're so light and, mm-hmm. you know, there's very little substance. They're easy to make. Uh, they're not, they can't damage the plant or the flower because one of the problems they were, they'd experienced with their research was that they could pollinate mm-hmm. But they were causing damage to the percentage yeah. of the crop. I think. I think one of the uh, reading the article, one of the interesting parts also was that the fact of to design the bubble itself. Yeah. Because you, they needed to find the proper ratio between the amount of soap yeah. that you have. Yeah. To not damage the flower or yeah. introduce uh, yeah. chemical agents to the flower yeah, or something. It's kind of polluting, uh-huh. really, isn't it? Exactly. And too little soap, and you cannot make bubbles. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. That's right. And they found the sweet spot, 0.4% concentration uh, of a substance found commonly on uh, baby shampoo. Yeah, a surficant, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The name is actually, where is Lauramidopropyl? Betaine. Betaine. Yeah. Yeah. So, simply what they did was they created a, a little machine that generated soap bubbles using this specially formulated solution, and each soap bubble had um, introduced to it uh, about 2,000 pollen grains per bubble, right? Yeah, I think that's amazing. And then basically they just blew the bubbles towards the uh, thing that needed pollinating, and as I understand it from what we've read, Uh they could do it from like a metre away, something like that, and... Uh, it was very efficient. Ninety-five uh, percent of the pollinated flowers bore fruit. Ninety-five percent. I think is, that's a huge success rate. That is huge, right? Yeah. And what he then did was he um, he is uh, he's mounted the bubble blower pollinator onto uh-huh. a drone, and they can actually direct the drone to each bush or tree or whatever, depending what they are pollinating. Yeah. Pollinating it, and move on to the next one. Obviously. Uh, it's a very interesting concept. Just think about the time that you will save yeah. doing that and efforts. Yeah, because 
Apparently, the way they try to do it currently, believe it or not, is they do it mechanically by hand mm-hmm. with like a giant feather duster. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. the, the pollen's on the feather duster and they go around like shaking it the dusting the dusty, trees yeah. uh-huh, uh-huh. and it's and this uh this method using these uh adapted uh, bubbles is as efficient as that and is obviously more efficient in terms of labor yeah and uh, there is no way it can damage the um the actual crop itself exactly i mean i think it's pretty cool don't you i think it's fantastic um and it's you know that kind of thinking that um we need and we're moving into different times and we yeah. will keep on having new technology ad- yeah. advanced to make well, our lives easier well, I think. well what gets me is that there is no way you could have uh you know if you'd have just sat down and said you know we got this bee pollinator problem what can we do about it that is not obvious right exactly what he came up with that was that is a truly novel idea and yet he was he was inspired by simple a, actions. a very simple thing, right? Yeah. Um, but you can kind of say, obviously, the realization was his, but the answer was there all the time, right? exactly. Which is often the case, right? With this, that's what happens usually. It can happen a lot. So, a very interesting story. It is. Future. 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 Yeah, Rafa. Here's a, an interesting one. Um, we were looking at uh, kind of environment stuff and mm-hmm. I came across this um, simple fact that obviously everything's about reducing CO2 outputs yeah. now, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, these climate targets of uh, allegedly reaching zero emissions by 2050, which I think is a bit of a joke. It's a it's tough never, one. It's, never it's a happen, very it? big milestone that, does, yeah, like you said, I don't know if, we could actually reach that one. Not with the current effort, I don't think. Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't think there's the there isn't the political will to do it, mm-hmm. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um in kind of looking at that, um what emerged was that twenty percent of the CO two emissions are actually coming out of uh food productions and more specifically um cattle and um you know, things with two, things with legs and a face, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Chickens, pigs, cows. Cows are particularly uh, bad. Uh, you know, kind of meat production from uh, cows is really inefficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, how can we, something like 40% of arable land is actually consumed with um, industrial scale production of animal meat of various guys mm-hmm. and that um you know trying to achieve this these 2050 targets for emissions something's gonna have to be done about that. yeah and, and I, I think this is where it comes in play i think this is where this comes in play and what, what we've what we just want to talk about for a few minutes is a northern european a finnish company mm-hmm. and uh, a startup yeah. Uh, they're called uh, Solar Foods Limited. Solar Foods. Solar Foods. And they have created a almost a magical process, really. And yeah. the, the output of this almost magical process is a pure protein. 
Exactly. Uh, like a almost like a flour, like but it's a powder. Yeah. And it can be used immediately as a food um, supplement, supplement, a booster, yeah. like we use, um, uh-huh. you know, like these whey powders and all this exactly. stuff. For, you could use this, just like right? even athletes use normal protein powders which to make all, shakes and add it to stuff, which is all from dairy stuff, right? Exactly. This is not, and this process, I think, is if it would have been shown. In Copernicus times, they would have been burned by now. Yeah, well, it is almost <laughs> magic, right? Yeah. And what is magic about it? Because obviously we're not telling you so. Um, what is magical about what they've done is they've created a kind of a closed process uh-huh. uh, that um, requires uh, the extraction of uh, water and CO2 from the atmosphere. From the atmosphere. They've actually created this process. It works. They have mm-hmm. production um, capability of pilot pilot production. Mm-hmm. They extract CO2 and water from the atmosphere, and they then add to that electricity from renewable sources. Yep. And then what they do is they introduce that in various ways into what is called a bioreactor, like a big, uh-huh. like a big cooking pot. A cooking pot, and yeah, in a the pressure co- cooker. Yeah, or, uh, kind of, yeah. And in the cooking pot is a bacteria, kind of similar, not exactly, but same kind of thing as processes yeast, you know, uh-huh, kind, of, uh-huh. kind of brewing. Exactly. It's kind of, it's kind of got parallels with beer making. Beer. In a uh-huh, way. Yeah. So it's a, it's a closed uh, tank that's got this very specific... Um, bacteria in it that they mm-hmm. have uh, identified and purified and blah, blah, blah. And it produces the output from feeding the bacteria in the bioreactor uh, when it is extracted and dried and so on and so forth. Uh-huh. It produces this powder that they call soline. It's called Soline, it. and it's neutral in taste, which it, is the... Most important thing about it as it's well. It's incredible, and it is 50% uh, protein, and it's 5 to 10% fat, uh-huh. um, and is a perfect kind of, uh, what can you say, initially, obviously, a um, uh, an ingredient to add mm-hmm. to, in, to existing food processes. So like now where they add maybe soy protein or something like that, yeah. you could add this soline because uh, one of the critical things about... Um, it will not have carbon carbon footprint. It has no carbon. It's zero. Zero. Yeah. And in terms of efficiencies, in terms of inputs, yeah, it's something in the order of... 10 times more efficient to produce than yep. soy, which is already like something like 10 times more efficient than beef. Yeah, although you have all your, your own uh, problems with soy, about with hormones and things like this. Right. You know, but uh, that's why this is so super important. It's so pure. Because it's so pure, and yeah. that's how they call it, the purest protein that you will find. Yeah, you can't, I don't know how you can improve it other than it, it comes out looking like a lamb chop. I don't uh-huh. know what else you can do with it, right? Yeah. So if you want to cook something, you would add this powder. Yeah. You will mix it with something else to create like a paste and maybe use it some for something else. Yeah. Can work in almost any food that you would like to do and add all the extra values. And yeah. the absorption is super important because Absolutely. it will get absorbed better mm. than the 
uh, coming from a dairy or uh, exactly. from animal protein. Exactly. So, you know, whereas at the moment, obviously, for example, you, at the moment you can buy like soy granules as a substitute uh -huh. for mincemeat, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Clearly, you could imagine this soline easily being make, uh, able to be made into a kind of granular exactly. food item mm -hmm. that you could then obviously light with soy. It has very little taste of its own, mm -hmm. but they're very good carriers of flavour. Exactly. Uh, so you can you could see immediate applications. And uh, what the um, soline people are talking about is that obviously you can use the powder as a, a highly uh, nutritious Uh, additive, but it could also be kind of a feedstock, shall we say, into obviously this whole developmental area mm -hmm. that's going on right now that's really bubbling, which is the kind of, uh, you know, using uh, vegetable vegetable proteins as meat substitutes. Exactly, yeah. You know, like, uh, what is that called? Is it called uh, Miracle Burger or something? Yeah. That's uh -huh. all made out of plant proteins. Plant and protein, that. something come put together. And I'm pretty sure they add soy into that, right? Mm -hmm. Clearly, this would yeah. be a bonus ingredient. But it's, uh, it's going to be similar to the way you could uh, process soy, let's say. Yeah. In the sense that you just, for example, the TVP, which is what is called a soy texturized. Uh, oh, yeah. Vegetable, vegetable protein, protein. Right. Uh, you would add it in probably water right. to rehydrate and add all the condiments you want, and then you get the flavor from there. Exactly. That exactly. could be used like this, or just add up straight on food. Yeah. In powder form. Yeah, you can imagine just chucking it into something you were making yeah. as a booster, right? But once again, the important thing of this, of this all this is the process and the applications in areas where there's uh, a lack of food yeah. and resources yeah. or space. Space. Mm -hmm. We like space-related items. Of course. We? So, in fact, uh, Solar Foods have an association with ESA, which is the European Space, space Agency. Agency, because um, ESA have uh, clearly been convinced of the benefits, for example, of when eventually, in about a million years, there's a ESA mission to Mars, uh -huh. uh, clearly something like uh, having a, a Solene unit on that mm -hmm. mission yeah. would be great. And also, once you get to Mars, um, you've got everything you need because Mars's atmosphere is mostly carbon dioxide, Yeah, exactly. And obviously there is moisture available. So you have basically all the ingredients in Mars already. Exactly. And and we were just riffing on, you know, what could you do with this thing on Earth? And if you look at some of the links we're going to provide, you'll see that the, you know, the, uh, the production hardware is like a lot of pipes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not that big. And obviously it can be made smaller. That uh, would be amazing because you can transport it anywhere that yeah. is needed. You can have like a drop-in food production yeah. unit, as you say, on the back of a truck, you know, yeah, and just drop it somewhere. For example, like disaster relief, and it, uh, that's a good one. Stuff like that, right? When there's any disaster or something, go. You leave the unit. People yeah. can collect the production of uh, the it, ingredient. There. It's basic, but it's got everything you need, right? It will help you survive. Which is what is needed, right? Yeah. So, an amazing uh, development, something we'd certainly something not... Something to follow up. 
and for governments to consider and yeah. look into that. Yeah, as per usual, they have obviously no government funding yeah. because why would you want to encourage that kind of thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when you're in the pocket of various industrial agricultural activities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is the way of the world. So, yes, so what is wonderful in a nutshell about Solar Foods and their product, Solene, is their zero carbon footprint yep. process, which is phenomenal, we think. Yes. And there you go. Food out of thinner. Have a look at the links. Yeah. And this was a great show. Indeed. Our first for a long time. Yes, I enjoy a lot of those topics. I think they were really interesting. Mm, they are interesting. And, and there's more to come. Yes, there's more to come. And we have to remind you mm. that now... If you weren't subscribed, please subscribe to the podcast. And we have now more options for you. You can now search for us on Google uh, Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, of course, as usual, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcatcher that you use. Uh, you can find us for sure listed in there. We're out there. We're not We're not proud, right? <laughs> exactly. Anybody that will host this show, they can have it. Yep, for sure. Mm. So, uh, I think that's all. Anything else you want to add, Carl? No, that's it. That's it. Other than see you next time. Perfect. Uh, that was Carl Baldwin. My name is Rafael Ruiz. And next week, another... No, next week, no. <laughs> next month, <laughs> another down the road. It's been a long time,